Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. The ACA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by ACA President Dr. Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy and politics of chiropractic, as well as reviewing the latest research and discussing how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. Today's podcast is one with a difference. I won't be interviewing a researcher about their latest study or discussing clinical pearls with an experienced clinician. This is more of a history podcast. Now, last month, a great chiropractic stalwart in Norm Brockley retired. Norm was executive director and later CEO of the former CAA Victoria for 25 years and then continued on as Southern Regional Manager with the ACA for another three years. Anyone who has crossed paths with Norm would soon be impressed with his affable nature, his knowledge of chiropractic, and his commitment to the advancement of the profession. He was certainly well-loved within the Australian chiropractic community, particularly so in Victoria. Given Norm's involvement with CA Victoria, we thought we might take a trip down memory lane with the help of the past CAA Victorian presidents and recall our history and at the same time celebrate Norm's legacy. So it's with great pleasure that I welcome our first guest in this historic ACA podcast, former CAA Victoria President, Dr. John Waterhouse. Hi, John, and welcome to the ACA podcast. Thank you. So you were... You were president from 1992 to 1996. Uh, the CAA had just formed uh, at that time. That's correct, yes. Yeah, there was a, um, quite a lot of groundwork was done in, in forming the, the, uh, the amalgamation of the ACA with the UCA into what morphed into the uh, CAA. Most of that work, of course, was done at the national or federal level, whichever way you want to put it, um, and... Uh, so whilst Victoria played a role because we obviously we had a fairly strong UCA group down here in Victoria with the um, with the Roberts School of Chiropractic, which became the South Melbourne School, uh, headed by Jan Fork and a few of the others around at that time, Mahinda Lal, there was uh, Maury Weisskopf, uh, Lou Rotman, or John Regis, of course, was with the UCA, as was Bruce Walker. So there's quite a a few known names that were part of that group. And uh, anyway, I, I took over the, the helm of the ACA, as it was known at that particular time, um, from Mahinda, who had been the president prior to that. And, uh, uh, yeah, that was, that was an interesting time. And we, Mahinda, bless his heart, and I should never speak ill of the dead, and I'm not speaking ill of the dead. He wasn't. He was a great person, but he wasn't a particularly good president in the terms of management. And I think one of the problems we had with the executive was that meetings would go on till midnight or one in the morning. And <laughs> a lot of us had had enough of that. So I made a, I made a, uh, a resolution that we would be finishing before 10. And we, we managed that fairly quickly. But the, the, as far as Norm was concerned, at, at that time, we had two other ladies who were administering the branch. And uh, one of the decisions we made at our first executive was to actually hire a professional consultant to try and help us streamline the branch uh, at every level. 
And anyway, this gentleman came in and he was making a lot of noises in terms of his investigation prior to the meeting. And uh, unfortunately, Amy Highlands at the time took umbrage of what was going on, stormed out of the room um, and said she was going to quit. So I went out to have a t little chat with her to find out what the problem was. And she said, I'm, I've had enough. I'm quitting. I said, OK, fair enough. And I accepted her resignation, which then, of course, prompted a search for someone to replace her. So that and must have been, a, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a stressful time when things like that are happening. Your executive oh, yeah, director absolutely. says... You know, that's that's it. I, I'm finished here now. So yeah. how did you come then to, to find Norm? Well, that was basically on the recommendation, probably mostly from Graham Hunt uh, from memory, because uh, he knew Norm from his time on the registration board, uh, which I hadn't at that time had that experience. Uh, although, of course, once I finished the, the, uh, the association, I was then a member of that. But... Uh, um, yeah, he, he, he suggested he would be an ideal person. So we approached Norm um, and made him an offer he couldn't refuse, as they say. And he was looking for a change, I think, at the time anyway. And uh, hence we engaged him. And it was probably one of the, the best decisions I've ever made in my life, as far as the profession is concerned anyway. I think a lot of people would uh, echo that comment, uh, John. Mm. Now, this was, of course, yep. when we were back in the Brunswick um, office, yes. which was yes. a unique building, and I'm giving yes. every bit of flattery by saying unique. Um, one thing was that yep. it was we owned the building but didn't own the land. Correct, yes. But we had a beautiful lease arrangement with the Victorian Railways, which we paid the princely sum of around about $2,000 a year for renting the land. And uh, one of the early decisions that Norman and I discussed at the time was that clearly this arrangement would not go on forever. And uh, we floated the idea together of, of starting a building fund uh, because we're used to, uh, with Norm's uh, financial skills and management, we were able to always have a little bit of excess left over at the end of each year. So we kept dumping this into this fund, which eventually... Uh, produced enough to put a deposit on the place that we eventually had in Dudley Street. And we'll talk more about Dudley Street a, a little bit further down in our uh, journey through history, but I think that was a great example of Norm's forward thinking. We had a great Absolutely. deal. Yeah, yep. had yep. a great deal on that yep. property uh, in terms yes. of it was cheap. It served its purpose, although it wasn't, you know, it was a bit of an eyesore at the same time. But it putting was. that money away and knowing that this this was where we were heading. That was really important. Yes, yep. It, it really gave us a very sound footing for the future. And uh, well, as we know, things have changed now, but at the time it served us particularly well. And whilst uh, the Brunswick property was a bit of an eyesore and didn't have an awful lot going for it, really, but it, the biggest thing it had going for it was it was cheap and it was something we could afford. Absolutely. So what are some of your um, fondest memories of working with Norm in those early days with CAA Victoria? I think as much as anything, it, the thing that resonated with me, because he and I have some similarities in character, we're both fairly organised people. And I felt that the association or the branch, as it was, uh, was not particularly well organised. And he brought in those uh, tremendous organisational skills that really put things on a very healthy footing, so much so that uh, uh, with a couple of the AGMs, we, we came up with a significant problem in having a quorum for the meeting. 
because everybody was uh, quite content the way things were going. They didn't feel the need to come along to the AGM. So I well remember one, one meeting, we were within a, a matter of minutes were having to cancel the meeting and, and somebody finally turned up and they had a couple of proxies with them and away we went. But the, the other thing uh, with, with Norm, he gave me a, a very sound piece of advice uh, and I, I've carried it through and practice it to this day too in that sense that so sometimes you've got to write a letter that you don't like to have to write. And he said, write the letter, be, be as nasty as you want, say all the things you really feel like saying, finish the letter, then tear it up, and then write the letter you should write. Mm. It's a very good piece of advice, actually. Is it? Very good advice. And I think, Norm, that, that, that typifies Norm. He's such a, a pleasant person to deal with, even mm. in difficult mm. circumstances. And I yep. think yep. everyone has uh, just about had that sort of an experience with him. They have. One of the other things that Norm uh, suggested that we do was to improve the social aspect of the branch, which is was very lacking at the time. And sadly, that's sort of gone, gone back a little bit that way again now. But the, um, he suggested we start an annual golf day. Uh, and uh, you may remember that, I think, the first I time. I do. Yes. I have a funny feeling you actually won the prize, did you not? Uh, look, I, yeah, maybe. Not, not because of my, I think okay. mostly because I had a very good handicap, not because I was a good golfer. Okay. Well, I, I had the, the privilege of being the first president to uh, have the, the first golf day and I won the Naga Award. So that's Ah, my, there you uh, go. <laughs> yes, I, I think that whole um, camaraderie that he built within the profession was, was really wonderful. Oh, very strong. And it, it increased and improved the links with the student uh, body of RMIT particularly. Uh, and, of course, with his history with the board, we then had a much better relationship with the board as it was then, which uh, I then continued afterwards when I took over as president of the board back with the, with the CAA. So that it, it was a very harmonious relationship, a lot of it down to him. Fantastic, John. Look, it's been such a pleasure to have this little uh, trip down memory lane with you. Thank you so much for all you've Uh, done for the profession over the years. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed it and still do. And let's uh, continue the journey on. Yep. (laughs) Good on you, John. So now we move to the man of the moment, uh, Norm Brockley. Uh, Welcome to the ACA podcast. Good afternoon, Anthony. How are you? I'm fantastic. So we've just been uh, hearing from John Waterhouse, who, of course, was uh, the first president that you served under. Tell us a little bit about your experience, what you were doing before you came across to CAA Victoria, and um, what was it that actually got you across there in the first place? Well, I had spent about 10 years with the health department and primarily as, uh, or sorry, initially as a policy officer for the Minister for Health. And during that time, one of my tasks was also to look after the Chiropractors Registration Board. And uh, through a restructure, that policy unit um, was um, disbanded after about six years. And then I took on a role looking after a group of registration boards because the department wanted to try and bring them all under the same umbrella as they were all statutory authorities back in those days. So um, I was looking after six registration boards uh, as well as the uh, Consultative Council on Anaesthetic Mortality and Morbidity. And that one is particularly relevant because it was an educational 
body, a research body, um, and what it was doing was obviously looking at anaesthesia and issues with that and then how to best educate uh, anaesthetists. And so that became very helpful later on um, when I moved across. Why I moved across um, was I had been doing that for about four years and there was a, a little bit of sameness about it and I was looking for something a bit more positive. Um, registration board work can be fairly negative um, because you're largely responding to complaints. Um, and so I was looking for something new and um, Graham Hunt, who was um, very active in the CA Victoria at the time, was aware of this as he was a member of the chiropractors board. Um, and so at one stage I was approached to see if I might be interested in applying for a position that had become available. And, uh, of course, the, the rest is history, as they say. My experience, first experience with you, which I don't think you'll remember, um, because I'm sure you did this with lots of chiropractors, was when I first graduated and I went into the offices in the city and um, had a chat with you. And uh, I guess I was, you know, being very, very new to the profession. I can't remember. You, you might have given me my handed over my actual registration certificate and uh, wished me well and gave me a, I guess, a little bit of advice of you know, what I would need to do and to contact you if you had any problems. I certainly didn't feel any of the negativity that you, you know, would associate with those kind of positions and felt very relaxed and warm and welcomed. Uh, did you do that with most of the chiropractors and indeed other professionals that uh, whose registration boards you were looking after at the time? Yes, I, it was a, something that we'd implemented with the chiropractors and osteopaths board to interview all um, new registrants to make sure, one, to identify them and make sure that they were who they said they were. And that might sound a bit strange, but there had been cases where people had come in and assumed identities. So a formal identification process was normal, uh, was um, needed, but also just to run through some of the legal responsibilities. And so that was the other side of it. Um, so we've been doing that for um, many, many years. And when I took over the other registration boards, I adopted the same sort of approach with them because I, I found it generally a very useful opportunity to not only meet the uh, graduates, but also make sure that they felt that they could call the board if they had an issue and not see the, the board as just being about, you know, um, finding them if they got out of line, so to yeah. speak. So how then um, was your first experience, or what was your first experiences like at CA Victoria and what were some of the early ch challenges with the role? Well, oddly enough, um, I don't think there really were many challenges um, because the, the executive had just undergone an administrative audit and so they had, and that audit had identified a number of issues um, that it needed to look into. And that was mainly around the issue of expanding what they were doing. Um, and so when I came in, I was confronted with a, an executive who was very much open to change and looking for ways of improving and 
expanding its role and in particular its engagement with the membership. And so it was, to me, there was um, a, a really nice feel about coming into that sort of environment because it was a, it actually um, gelled with a lot of the things that I'd been thinking. Um, and when, especially when you talk about that interview process, there was oftentimes when you were talking to students and new graduates or soon-to-be graduates who um, were looking for answers to questions and weren't sure where to get information. So it was clear there was already some roles starting to open up for the association, in my mind at least. So John, obviously, Waterhouse was the first president that you worked under. What was he like to work with? Um, John was very sort of a structured individual and and wanted to get things done um, and was very keen to make sure that the, there was plans and, and plans were followed. And, and that, again, sort of fit with the way I like to um, operate. And so I always remember um, John saying to various people who were responsible for different areas like PE or legislation, you know, if you want to do something, then I want a report, uh, a written report, and, and I want it in advance. And, you know, so, and that already started to build a more structure into the way that the association was operating. Well, it certainly sounds like you and John were on the same page because uh, he was saying very similar things, uh, of course, about you, uh, Norm. Uh, let's move to the next era, uh, which was the 96 to 99, and Bruce Ellis was president. So this brings us to our next era, if you like, from 1996 to 1999, uh, when Dr. Bruce Ellis was president of Chiropractic Association of Australia, Victoria branch. Welcome, Bruce. G'day, Anthony. Now, you were, of course, vice president before you were uh, nominated on as president. Tell me about that transition and uh, how you came to get the top job. Oh, we're talking a long time ago here. Um, John Waterhouse had been president and done an excellent job, um, basically came to the end of his time. I, I think, in fact, he may have been part of the registration board at that same time as well. Um, and he stepped aside and somehow I ended up um, being elected to president. I, uh, I don't recall it being anything uh, as rough and tumble as some of the more modern things. It was, a, well... I don't know, it was sort of a gentleman's agreement, I suppose, which sounds really strange for chiropractors. <laughs> well, I was actually on the executive at that time, and um, I do remember the transition, and I think you were just the obvious choice, uh, so that's why it wasn't contested. And, of course, 1996, when you started, was also an important year. That was the first time that we had the Victorian Cairo of the year. We certainly did, and an excellent choice for it too. Deemed yeah, so indignity. I don't think you could get a more deserving chiropractic care, uh, chiropractor of the year award than Dean Vindini for the work that he did um, with uh, all, all, all things, uh, I guess, um, voluntary in terms of, and I've just got a mental blank on what the organization is called that he headed. Hands on health. Hands on health. Of course. Hands it is. on health. And we were, 
and we were working out of the Sacred Heart Mission, and I had actually been one of his volunteers. Yeah, great, great job and a great man. So you were also very much involved with your voice and continued, um, which of course, for those who aren't aware, is the pu- publication from the Chiropractic Association of Victoria um, branch. You were on that. Were you on that as president, or did you only take up that role after, as editor, after you finished your term? I took it up after. Um, what had happened is there'd always been a state newsletter. And uh, um, you may vaguely remember Rony Ode pages and things of that nature. I certainly can. But spirit printers and things of that nature. We're talking almost pre-photocopying uh, um, uh, and things of that nature. And Norm took a look at the whole thing and he decided that uh, we needed something a little bit more professional. And what he decided he wanted to do was to put together effectively 24 pages, glossy print, black and white, published in-house but at a higher quality and something we could use for advertising or get advertising dollars for. And so he, he put together a format um, which included a, uh, uh, an editorial as well as a president's report. Um, actually, I'm not too sure whether it was only just a president's report when it started, um, but with tidbits of various different things and uh, classified ads for, from within the profession of um, people who might want tables, who might want practices or things of that nature, but lots of stuff to do with governance, a lot of uh, how to be more professional about what we were doing, those sorts of things. Um, as I, when I stepped down from president, um, I sort of never stopped writing the president's report, but it became an editorial um, bi-monthly um, for quite a period of time. We went quarterly towards the end and we also went full colour towards the end but we never failed to cover our costs. It really was. A, yeah. It really was a quality document. And as you said, not only giving great information, but also as a, um, a financial resource to the association mm. as well. What were some of the other really important things that you think um, eventuated out of that period with you as president and Norm by your side? Oh, we became more and more and more professional as we went. I mean, if I look at the ACA slash CAA, of today and look at the political clout we've got because of the people we have serving with us. Um, During my presidency, we actually started getting professional people to come in and give us guidance on both marketing, but also on how to work within the political framework. The reason we hired Norm was, of course, he came from the political framework. He'd been the they have up to, I think, seven different boards he was registrar for at various different times. They have massive contacts. And so he's, we stopped being, I would suggest to you, a bunch of people with a lot of skills, but not necessarily a lot of organisation, and we became more and more and more professional. I mean, a classic from my point of view is um, I would occasionally write a response to something as president, but I'd write it as emotional rather than presidential. And what would happen is it would come back to me with a little note, now that you've got that off your chest, now write the real one. Yes. Uh, just setting the tone so we were truly professional. It was always good to have Norm vet the documents uh, that you've written down before they go out to the membership or to stakeholders. Uh, another big one was the, the branch PE levy that sort of, uh, I think, came from your era as well. Yes. Dr. Bruce Scott got in with Norm and talked about how we were doing our marketing. And at the time, the rough and tumble at the time, it was all of the professions were beginning to become more professional and they were pushing for a turf war, basically. 
And the physios had turned around and they'd promised their members that they would have, they would take spine and make it theirs and push those chiropractors right out. So we were in, in quite an interesting position where if we wanted to maintain our patch and to be able to, I mean, we are, we are the spinal professionals. And if we were going to take that and run with it, um, we needed to be very much more aggressive about our marketing. We had nothing. We had uh, no bu a budget for it. There was no money. So we're, again, we're talking better part of 25 years ago. We levied each member $300, which was a sizable chunk in those days. And with that, we came up with a professional marketing campaign. We came up with um, a number of tools that sat at the headquarters where people could come in and they could borrow um, booths and um, marketing materials for uh, running special things, say for chiropractic week, but also for um, posture checks and things of that nature. Um, the materials for how to run a posture check so that we didn't cause the board to get up with set with us were also generated in those days. Yeah. So it, it it was it was huge and it was uh, it took chiropractic week into something far bigger. Um, we just became a lot better at doing what we'd been doing along the way and a lot more professional. And again, there was norm at the background, making sure we did it properly with everything in place, with the resources available to everyone. Well, it sounds like you had a great time with Norm through your uh, three years as president and certainly it was a, a very impactful and effective uh, time. Bruce, thank you so much for all you've done for the profession and for our chat today. My pleasure, Anthony. And hopefully there'll be more chats or certainly lots, lots more profession. Absolutely. Good on you, Bruce. Thanks, well, great to hear from Bruce Ellis there. One of the things, Norm, that Bruce was talking about, of course, was the PE levy. Tell us a little bit about how this uh, evolved and indeed how public education in Victoria changed and morphed over the years. As Bruce said, there's, there was a time when it became apparent that we were going to have to build the brand of the profession within the community. And the at that stage, there was very little funds available for it. So uh, as Bruce mentioned, Bruce Scott, uh, who was then responsible for PE, um, put together a proposal for a levy, um, which from memory I think was about $300 um, each. So um, that then gave us, um, when it was accepted by the membership, um, a nice little um, budget to work on. And so there was a PE committee then constructed and that was um, responsible for developing a range of PE programs that would help um, enhance the reputation and, and the brand of chiropractic. So, and, and that involved a range of things. Um, there was everything from public spinal screenings. There was a, a fun run that ran for about 10 years um, um, and is now the Mother's Day fun run. Um, That's right. <laughs> when we stopped doing it, they took it over. And um, so same time each year. So there was a whole range of programs and the whole idea was to not only to do some public advertising, but to build materials and resources that members could use in their own practices. Yep. So, um, and to help them develop an, an expertise to promote their own practices in a, in a, in a practical and a, obviously an ethical and a legal way. 
And I think there was uh, quite a bit of involvement with uh, Linda King's group. I can't remember the name of the company off the top of my head. Yeah, there was, um, it became apparent fairly quickly that um, chiropractors are good chiropractors, but um, there is uh, a need for some guidance when it comes to how you do marketing and the way to do um, marketing the most effective, sorry, how to be most effective with your marketing. And so there was a number of companies that we used over the years, uh, including um, Linda King, uh, who was would guide the profession uh, on how to do use um, how to do its marketing. And at the stage when Linda King came in, it was becoming apparent that we didn't have enough money to really conduct advertising uh, in any meaningful way. And so with Linda King's help, we moved then to getting free advertising effectively through um, getting more exposure to the media through interviews and on by news services and current affairs programs and that sort of thing. Um, so that was a, a very interesting transition for us um, to move in that direction, which had two benefits. One, it, it reduced the expenditure in terms of paid advertising, but also that sort of exposure often has more credibility than an ad. Absolutely. So, yes, and, uh, and that's obviously something that's... If there is a positive interview yeah. on a current affair, it works better for you. Yes. For sure. And that's obviously something that's continued on through the, the ACA as well, where being seen as the expert opinion maker uh, it gives you far more credence than um, we're just putting up this uh, paid ad. Um, let's go to the next era, which is exactly. uh, Dr. Ari Diskin from 1999 to 2002. So the next area we move to is 1999 through to 2002. And of course, the president of the CA Victoria during this time was Dr. Ari Diskin. Hi, Ari, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Anthony. Thank you for inviting me to this uh, special occasion to honour Norm. It absolutely is. And of course, uh, while serving for three years as a Victorian president is a a great honour and a a great achievement, um, you were also involved in the executive for longer than any other chiropractor. Tell me a little bit about your uh, experience on CA Victoria. Well, what it started as was uh, just wanting to get involved. So I went to a meeting as an observer in 1995. And by the end of that meeting, I was recruited onto the executive and I was very very curious. So I, I stuck around for a little while. And just the short version is I had a few roles. Uh, when the presidency came up in 99, I, I took that. Um, when, it, when my presidency uh, completed in 2002, I thought that um, for continuity, I'll stay, stick around a little bit longer. And I ended up staying until there was, was no more CA Victoria. Yes. <laughs> they couldn't yes. get rid of me. You were there right to the end. And I must say, it, it, you weren't just dead wood, Ari. You played a very active role uh, for your whole entire time on the executive. So thank you for that commitment. Uh, one of the things that uh, we saw eventuate during this period was the graduate training programs and, and building the relationships between what was then Pitt and later became RMIT. 
Yeah, well, what happens in school, and certainly when I went to school, there was there was a chiropractic training, but there wasn't really any business training. And um, so what what we decided to do as an executive was help the students be more prepared for when they graduate. Um, unfortunately, it was only a few hours, but those few hours were very uh, well designed, and we had experts, our local uh, chiropractors here, and business people that were prepared to help out and give the uh, graduate students some training and not just the training and prepared for uh, graduation, but even just the, the materials. It was like a whole, whole manual that was prepared. That was like a telephone book. It was terrific. Yeah. And it's still uh, running in some form today. Of course it was, uh, it's eventually uh, brought into part of the uh, curriculum for chiropractors. And then it's had different um, iterations along its time, but certainly having uh, that involvement with the students, not only in terms of um, giving them that grounding in business, but also just building relationships uh, with other chiropractors and bringing people outside of the chiropractic profession so that students can engage with accountants and lawyers and just understand the bigger picture of what it means to be a chiropractor. Yes, I think it was a real... um advantage to those that, that participated in that to save them making lots of mistakes that lots of us had had to make the hard way it was like um we could give them a, a huge advantage it was really wonderful wonderful initiative and the one other thing that i want to talk about was the uh, move towards having formal strategic planning i think uh, this really improved the professionalism of the ca victoria that, that that's true and i i believe um uh, we as a uh, executive in victoria did things way ahead of uh, the curve and we were, uh, it was a good, we were good role models for other states and uh, that's one of them was the planning that we did um, engage professional facilitators to come and help us and one, one of the things that um, I'm happy to be involved with was the move to um, save some money for the for the um, association and so what one of the things that we did is as much as it would have was fun to be away for a weekend, having a planning meeting, we did it much more in house, and we 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 um did no there was no overnight stays, so we cut up hotel costs and things like that. And really, that was a, a one step towards saving money, which um as you'll get to probably with somebody else, but you know to purchasing our own building, you know saving that money for that. Absolutely, yeah. I think it was all about sort of you know being um wise with where we uh, devoted our resources. And that's part of the you know, professional approach that Norm and, and the executive at the time uh, with uh, your leadership certainly was you know, very, very instrumental in, in that move. So I, I'd like to say before I lose the opportunity to say how instrumental Norm was um, with the success and the initiation of so many different things that you'll be covering with all the other president members um, just so many different things that he had ideas for and, and, and together as a team we brought to fruition. Um, but probably one of the most important things was I was there for quite a few years and I saw the presidents come and presidents go and, and everyone did their own job really well. And I would be surprised if anyone wouldn't say that Norm uh, really helped them tremendously because, you know, we're chiropractors and, you know, we have some skills, but Norm had um his background his training and his uh, expertise um really supported us very well with the job that we had to undertake and i know before any meeting i go to i talk to norm and so i mean i talked to norm uh, uh a lot <laughs> you know we had like an open telephone you know, it was just so so important for me 
as an inexperienced person in that role to have someone like Norm to support me. And so I was the face, but he was really almost like the brains behind me. (laughs) So supportive. Yeah, fantastic. All right, Ari, thank you so much for your time. We'll continue the conversation with the other presidents, uh, but I really appreciate the uh, great efforts you made uh, to help support the profession. So a really interesting thing that uh, Ari was talking about there was the graduate business training program. And of course, with the CAA, we had national that through the deed of agreement was responsible for federal matters and CAA Victoria and all the other state branches and territory branches were responsible for local matters such as liaising with the students. Um, I think the graduate business training program was a great initiative. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about how that uh, all came about, Norm? Yeah, as I mentioned earlier and you raised in in interviewing soon-to-be graduates, it was apparent that there was a fairly sizable gap in some of their knowledge and especially related to business issues. And one of the things that's very apparent is that chiropractors are one of the few professions that go straight into private practice. Um, Medicos, nurses or the other registered professions will often work in hospitals or other institutions first and not have to literally dive in at the deep end. Um, So that became apparent that there was a need for further education and it initially started with um, running long weekends um, where we would have a number of volunteers, um, lawyers, accountants, financial advisors, chiropractors talking about all matters business and no matters clinical. And they were initially, um, as I said, very long weekends. So, um, you know, 10 hours, sort of two days of 10 hours, by which stage the poor students um, really wanted to go and shoot themselves. Um, So eventually it morphed into a a bit more um, a program that was spread over a longer period of time. So we didn't... um, burn them out um, and scare them too much. And that program eventually became part of the RMIT curriculum, um, something that we were very proud of, so that we were able to provide 16 hours of um, business education for the students um, so that they were properly prepared for all those issues that they were going to confront when they started practice. So, and like and like so many of the initiatives that started in Victoria, this also went uh, nationally and through the ACA is now the transition to practice seminars, which are held for all the uh, universities and teaching institutions throughout Australia. Um, Norm, I wanted to speak about my era as president now, 2002 to 2006. And of course, the most important thing here was the the purchase of uh, Dudley Street. Um, Tell us a little bit about how that came about. Early on in the piece, it was apparent that we had a building in Brunswick that we didn't own the land to. Um, We knew that the government was looking to make that the land for an airport um, line and that it's any time they may kick us off the land. 
So um, the executive at the time decided that it would take the difference between the poultry rent it was paying and what it should have been paying for that area and put it into a building fund. And by the time we got um, effectively given our marching orders from Brunswick, we had accumulated a, a sizable building account. Um, and so that very much facilitated the search for, you know, ultimately the purchase of Dudley Street. And it's a great old uh, building whose value has increased significantly over the years. I remember signing the documents in the early 2000s and being pretty nervous about such a, a significant purchase, but uh, I can tell the members that the recent evaluation that was $2.55 million that that property is worth and it's fully owned uh, now by um, uh, the ACA, which has been a great investment, but also was um, such a perfect building for what we needed at that time. Yes, and we were also interest rates weren't much, so we were actually able to structure our budget so that we we paid very little interest um, because we got our income at the start of the year. We paid basically the loan down for the year and paid very little interest over the duration as well. So um, it was a very fruitful thing. And so over the time you've worked with uh, some some dedicated, uh, mostly uh, women in, in the at CAA Victoria. Uh, tell us about some of the, the staff members that were on board through your years. When I first got there, there was um, Jenny Elliott and Maria Carlos um, who were working there. Um, and Maria um, moved on fairly quickly after um I came, not because I came. Um, Jenny worked until she retired, at which stage we were fortunate enough to employ Alyssa Doxy, um, who was an amazing character because she had um, half a law degree um, and she was also a stand-up comic. um, (laughs) which meant that she had a really great personality, but with that keen mind that was able to read documents, interpret legislation, and it was for a membership association, it was just a lovely combination. And we were very lucky to have her for um, about 10 years, I think it was. Yes, indeed. Um, yes. And, and along with a succession of... Um, people uh, who looked after the magazine and most recently Franka James who who really took the magazine to new heights um, the your voice I'm referring to yes um, yes which um, we had it's always one of the things that I've been supposed most proud of is um, the magazine because it uh, was our main communication link with the members and was also the thing that enabled us to engage with the members and Franka did a brilliant job of that. Um, Now, as I said, uh, Lissa had moved on by this stage and um, we had also Jackie Powell who was um, 
again, one of those lovely combinations of experience and qualifications who was fantastic with our finances um, and was uh, freed me up from all the bookkeeping, which was uh, always good, uh, and looked after the members beautifully. So um, we have been really um, spoiled with the quality of staff we've had over the years. Absolutely. Yeah, I think they've done a fabulous job. And obviously you had a terrific working relationship with them. So that was outstanding. Um, the next era is uh, 2006 to 2011. So let's hear from the, the then president, Dr. Angus Pike. So we move now to the period of 2006 to 2011, where we had one individual who served for longer as president in a single term than any other. And I'm speaking of no one else, but of course, Dr. Angus Pike. G'day, Angus. Hello, Anthony. Thank you. So what were the big things that happened while you were president? Well, I lost a lot of my hair. Does that count as a good thing? I think that's part of uh, that. That's I was hairier than a collie dog when I started. So, um, and and now, um, you know, the, the big thing when you asked me this originally um, really would have to be, you know, the culmination of events that led up to a vote of no confidence in the registration board. Yes. Um, at that time, the two we're trying to work out when the dates of that were. That's not really important. But some things around that too, you mentioned also, you know, we, we had getting chiropractors to come along to meetings is difficult. And yeah. uh, we, we needed to call an extraordinary annual general meeting at that stage there. And we managed to get 609 chiropractors to attend that meeting, which is, Huge. you told me before, the largest gathering of chiropractors ever in, in Australia. Now, uh, DGs had times when we've had more than a thousand people there, but that's staff and CAs and husbands and wives and those kind of things there mm. as, as well. It, the culmination of that lack of uh, a vote of no confidence really came about um, the Victorian branch has always had a wonderful relationship with governing bodies beforehand, had worked yeah. closely with them, had been consulted with regularly we had helped in many cases pretty much drafted guidelines the guidelines that we had put towards them had been often just adopted almost word for word yeah and all of a sudden for some reason and and not the place now for us to talk about why that is that consultation disappeared guidelines were popping up left right and center it seemed without any consultation and we would reach out and either if consultation was invited we had a you know very short time frame to do that too so you know, we we became very frustrated by this because we wanted to share the voice of our members. And, um, you know, eventually with having nowhere else to go, we spoke with health ministers. At the time, we formed a, a, a very professional relationships with Dan Andrews, you know, the current uh, leader here in Victoria there too. And, you know, he was very helpful, encouraging us that consultation, that wasn't the board's job to agree with what we said. And we were never after agreement, but we're after consultation as well and so after it quite possibly still the most stressful day of my life that yes. leading up to that meeting and yeah, having man. to um talk uh to that group of people and sitting in the front of the row there were many of um the board members uh you know so the registration <laughs> board at, members you mean registration yes. board members thank you for clarifying that yeah. having to look them in the eye and you know again to relate that what we, we didn't 
We weren't after, we just wanted consultation. That's what yes. we wanted there as well. And I think all bar a few people, there were a couple that abstained from voting, um, one or two that voted against it. But to say that we had in excess of 90%, in fact, I, I, I could probably say it was in excess of 99% of people shared that vote of no confidence as well. So that will go down as a pivotal moment in my life. Um, and I think maybe also I, I could be bold enough to say that maybe pivotal in certainly chiropractic here in Victoria because of the direction where things were going at that time, particularly with regards to care of kids and scope of chiropractic as, as well. So Norm's constant guidance, support, level-headedness in that situation there um, cannot be overstated, the role that he played at that. And along with that too, somebody I would like to acknowledge as well, who was right by my side was Tony Croak. Tony and I at that stage were working, you know, we had our practices full time and then there was at least another 30 hours a week we were putting into this uh, that Norm was putting in extra time as well. So it was emotionally very stressful. It was physically very tiring for us because of, of what was happening. And man, was Norm just a pro with regards to that? So that'll stand out as something kind of burned into my, uh, uh, you know, my heart uh, and brain with the time that I had at um, at CAA Vic. I think Norm's experience as on the registration board previously and just the professionalism that he brought to these sorts of encounters, uh, I, I know for me always gave me a great deal of confidence. But I must say in my time as president, I don't think I had a more stressful time like you did. And I probably handed over the reins, I think, at just the right time for me. Uh, and, and you did a great job uh, at that meeting. I, I, like so many other chiropractors, of course, was there. And I think the outcome was pretty positive. The, the outcome was great because we got our voice heard again. It's all we ever wanted. And, you know, we got to build a relationship. And, you know, as both groups have matured, both now APRA and, you know, uh, the Chiropractors Association there too, we understand that they're separate bodies and that we uh, are therefore have competing interests. But there's a lovely mutual respect, I think, that has come back between the groups now as as well. And I think, you know, events like that are part of the reason why uh, also. And as you said, you know, I've written down here, you know, Norm's cool head, he's calm mind always. It's very rare in my uh, five, six years that I was working very closely with him that I'd ever seem flustered. Um, that's impressive for, um, yeah. you know, for the amount of heart that he shared in there. I, I can't, I'm sure there would have been a time, but I can't think of times of him ever losing his cool. Yes. Um, so, you know, remarkable. And his ability to, I guess, move from one board and one president to the next and everyone comes on the board and thinks they're going to change the world and probably doesn't have that experience or understanding of how these processes work. I think he adapted so well to those personalities, didn't he? Beautifully. Well, you think about when I took over from you and I can remember you and I meeting in a cafe in Caulfield where yep. it was very clear and you did it in such a beautiful way that you were very much wanting to know, look, what, what, because I was youthful and inexperienced and that was some of my strengths as well as some of my weaknesses at that time. And I did come on, um, you know, ready to change the world, so to speak. And Norm is, he, he, he just was on board with that straight away. And I watched as I moved on and new board members came on there too. It must have been times for him that he went, oh, here we go again. But he was so supportive with regards to all of that and so supportive, particularly with my inexperience at that time. 
And, uh, you know, I, I can't thank him enough for that as well. I, I, I want to perhaps just acknowledge one other thing before we kind of finish up here too. When I write down the characteristics of Norm, I want to acknowledge his compassion. Certainly for the time that I was there, whenever there was anything difficult that was going on in somebody's life, the person they would reach out to would be Norm. And so he was getting the horrible phone calls where there's something had happened in somebody's practice you know, somebody had passed away, difficulties with patients. And watching the professionalism and the compassion that he would deal with those um, was stunning. Beautiful, beautiful man. A heart bigger than Texas, um, to borrow from that as well there too. I want to acknowledge him for that. And there'll be many chiropractors that will listen to this who unfortunately will have needed to call Norm in one of those difficult times. And I think that they would relate also that, you know, just how amazing he was. And I, you know, I'm, I'm forever in debt for what he gave to me during those years as president and my time on the board. So thank you, Norm. Beautifully said, Angus, and a great way to wrap up this part of the interview. Thank you so much for your uh, commitment and what you've done for the profession and for participating today. Right back at you, buddy. Thank you so much. So good to hear from Angus there. Uh, Norm, tell us about your experience uh, with uh, the vote of no confidence in the registration board back in those um, mid-2000 era. That's one of those occasions where it's a happy, sad event. Um, It was in one way unfortunate that it had to get to where it got to, Um, but it was also wonderful to see so many chiropractors get together. And some years before that, um, when professional indemnity insurance had gone through the roof, we conducted a risk management seminar and that had 430-odd chiros there. And I don't mean odd. um, I'm not sure of the exact number. Um, But... The wonderful thing about that was watching the profession during the breaks. They enjoyed John Kelly. They learned a lot from him. But um, afterwards, we couldn't get them to go home. Um, There were so many chiropractors who got together and, and hadn't seen each other for a long time. And it was really a lovely time to just walk amongst them and watch them catching up and spotting people they hadn't seen. And similarly, the registration board was good for that. Um, But it was also good because we had made this um, commitment to always engage with the members, and that had been one of the, the strengths of the Victorian executive for a long time. And as I mentioned with the magazine earlier, the information that we published made sure that um, as much as possible the membership was on board with where we were going and when we got to this impasse with the registration board came critical that we take the temperature of the profession and make sure that they understood what our concerns were and why those why we held those concerns and then Um, see what they would like to do so the no confidence motion actually came from the floor it wasn't something we had the meeting to do but the other good thing about it was that um, it gave us an opportunity 
to um, meet with um, various people within the health department and we ended up having a very good relationship with Dan Andrews, who was the health minister at the time. Mm. And um, I always remember a particular fondness, a, a meeting of all associations, and there was Angus Pike and Tony Croke, and we were talking to the AMA representatives at the time, and Angus, uh, sorry, uh, Daniel Andrews walked through them and came over and spoke to Angus and Tony and I. And the look on the faces of the AMA representatives was always priceless for me. Um, so it had some, as I said, it was sad that it, it, it had to happen, but it was it had a number of positives. And one was that ability to make sure that the profession was aware of what was happening and was on board with um, what was where we should go from there. I guess you could probably draw some similarity to the current situation, which uh, is, we hope, coming to a close with Safer Care Victoria, where you had a particularly, I guess, bad set of incidents uh, that led to the Safer Care Victoria review and what that has done, similar to what happened way back in between 2006 and 2011, where our involvement and engagement with stakeholders and um, health ministers has improved significantly, um, as it did back in those days. And the end outcome might just be a, a positive thing for the profession moving forward with elevation of professional standards, which is something, of course, we're all interested in the Associations just as interested in that as as our registration boards, so um, I guess that might be a, a case of making lemonade out of the lemons as well. Well, and I think that's what you you need to do. And um, through our strategic planning, through our um, political training, and even through our media training, one of the things that became apparent um, and the lessons that we learned very early on was that. Um, it is important to meet with key stakeholders um, and it's always important to have solutions when you go to those meetings. And I think that has been a, a, an overriding theme of our interactions with stakeholders and has held us in very good stead um, because you don't come across as just a whinger. You come across as someone with legitimate concerns, but also who is prepared to... Um, help find a solution to a particular issue. Very well put. Okay, that brings us to 2011 to 2014, a very important time for the profession with our first female president of the CAA, Victoria. So moving on to the 2011 to 2014 period for CAA, Victoria, and this was a very important stage for our association, um, particularly because we had a woman at the helm for the first time. Helen Elavaki, thanks for joining in on our special podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Anthony. So how did you come about making the decision to run for president? And what was it like working with, with Norm and the executive as president of CAA Victoria? Uh, well, it's kind of a funny story. I really didn't have being the president on my radar. I still had two 
very young children, um, one at preschool and one just starting primary school at the time. And it was really Angus rang me, Angus Pike rang me one day and asked if I would consider it. Um, so I thought about it and said yes. I think it was one of those things that I thought, well, it's come to me now. It, you know, I was um, excited about being the first female president uh, and also thought that I had a lot to give to the association at that stage. So that's kind of how it came about. How was it that Norm helped support you during what is a pretty difficult time for anyone as being present, but particularly when you've got two children and running your own practice? Yeah, Norm Norm is amazing. He um, certainly made the transition easy. I think all presidents probably can tell the story of how much of the background work that Norm did for meetings for um you know, executive meetings or meetings with um, important people such as heads of school or government. So he helped in that way. But on a really practical level, he helped um, by just being really accessible. He was very much, uh, um, I want to say, part of our lives in the sense that he knew my children. He made it easy. Um, Isabel, my youngest came to the office at CIA Vic in um, West Melbourne on numerous occasions um, and he interacted with her. He um, organised meetings to come to my house if necessary. I mean, these were all the things that made such a huge difference with all the balls that I had up in the air at, at any one time that he just made it easier for me to do the job in, a, in the easiest possible way. I think Norm was certainly very aware of both the challenges and opportunities for for women in practice. And of course, this led to uh, eventually the formation of the Women in Chiropractic Group. And I expect you were fairly involved with that process. So Norm was instrumental in the development of WIC. It was actually already on the agenda prior to me even becoming an executive member of the CAA VIC board. And then once I became president, I think Norm and I had an enthusiasm to really bring it up to the next level. And that's based on the fact that Norm was the one that was answering the telephones to a lot of female practitioners who were struggling. They were struggling with work-life balance. They were struggling with how to be pregnant and have babies while practicing. They were struggling with working from home. They were struggling in the area of inappropriate patients. There was there were a lot of um, issues that were really very much female focused. And Norm and I decided that we needed to provide a, a, a service for these women. So that's how WIC was born. And you know, I'm really proud of the women that now continue to um, work with supporting the, the other female practitioners and that it's become actually a national um, committee and not just a Victorian-centric one. Absolutely. And not only has it become a national one, but it's a thriving national one. They really are going gangbusters, the women in chiropractic, and it's a great service initiated by Norm and certainly supported very strongly in the embryonic stages by yourself and and so good to see that uh, so many women have access to that kind of service. Absolutely. Helen, it's been such a pleasure uh, talking with you. You really were a trailblazer for the profession and uh, thanks for taking part in our podcast today. Thanks for having me.
Well, great to hear from Helen there. And of course, Norm Wick was, uh, you know, your brainchild um, in the first place. It was a marvellous, marvellous initiative and it's gone absolute gangbusters. It's probably the one of the best things or well-subscribed to things within the ACA. Tell us a little bit about how this all eventuated. Um, I was getting some calls periodically from female practitioners who were having issues um, in practice. And then there was a period of time when I got a, a whole lot of calls in a very short time, which made me realise that one, the extent of the problem. And it also happened about the same time as there was a a medical practitioner who was actually murdered in her practice by a patient. And, um, And that sort of gelled with some of the calls that I had been receiving. And so... Um, one of the things that occurred to me is that especially young female practitioners wouldn't perhaps want to talk to an old bloke like me about um, some of the very personal issues they were confronting. Yeah. So um, there had been a previous attempt some years beforehand to start a women in chiropractic, which didn't get very far. So I remember I went over and um, met with Helen and laid out what I thought we we might do in order to create a situa- a system where women could have someone to talk to and get some answers about um, or some help or some advice, uh, whatever was needed. Um, from there, there was a, a, a dinner actually held with um, some key um senior female practitioners and women in chiropractic was born from there and the 24-7 peer support line came out of that which um, uh, so there was training for a group of um, female practitioners to um, learn how to be effectively first responders to assist people Um, we constructed a, a resource guide that had a group of um, institutions, health services, police, lawyers, and it worked very well for um, a long time. And uh, one of the things that still makes me very proud is one practitioner I had helped actually before um, WIC had started used to call me every year and just thank me for the help that um and it it made me realize just how valuable that service is yep. um, um you you are aware and we have been aware of um members being in crisis at different times in fact we had a, a member support program that um swung into operation on many t- occasions for but for people who were having health issues or whose practice had been affected by fire or flood or whatever. Um, But this was a very much, um, with WIC, a focus on the very um, specific issues that women can face in practice that men won't confront. And so to see it work and uh, as well as it did was was really gratifying, to say the least. 
Absolutely. So Norm, we moved to 2014 and 2017 and you had the unfortunate experience of having to have me as president again, all over. Uh, certainly not unfortunate at all. Um, it was a great time because, um, as I mentioned earlier, the the profession was and the executive and successive executive members were very interested in seeing how we could change things and what sort of things we could innovate with. And CPD program that we had been running over the years had been very, very strong and had been working well, but it wasn't really involving our um, rural members as much as we wanted. And so we looked to a situation of having um, effectively a Zoom-type um, broadcast to regional and remote areas. Um, and that program went on for a couple of years, but probably for a couple of reasons and mainly the um, early adoption of uh, software that hadn't become as sophisticated as it is today and, and also the cost of it, the program never got to be as big as we had wanted. And so it became a little bit of a, like a Concord project for us. And so um and by that, I mean, you know, it was costing us more than it was really, we thought the value was there. So we looked at, well, first of all, we stopped the program, but then we thought, well, rather than going back to what we were doing before with just face-to-face, -face, how else can we provide services that will assist regional members? And the project that came out of that was an extension of the clinical challenges that we had been um, posting in the magazine, whereby scenarios were given and then questions were asked and people could either just do it for their own amusement or they could answer the questions and send them in and get some formal credits. But we developed a series uh, of videos with the same sort of thing. So these were professionally produced videos by reputable presenters and series of questions that people could answer. And the beauty of that also was that they were free. So it was a, a lovely member service. And um, that was very strongly um, used by the members because they really appreciated that. And it also gave us an opportunity to target where the CPD went to as well um, and being free of the take-up was really good so we got made sure the quality information got to more people so it was a very valuable program. And I think once again it was the CAA Victoria adopting that new technology at a very early stage and that's just expanded and again become bigger and bigger so that webinars are now a, a common feature of your ACA membership. What are some of the other member services that uh, that you think were really important back in those days? One of the things that we used to do, the member services committee would regularly hear what the issues were with the profession and what sort of calls are we getting and through its engagement with the members was looking for information about where 
members were maybe needed some support or some assistance. And similarly, the Professional Standards Committee was looking at where there may be some issues with um, complaints or claims against chiropractors. And so between the two committees over a period of time, they developed something like 23 guidelines that assisted members with everything from being a professional locum, um, how to approach a patient where you have um, found uh, significantly um, adverse findings um, through to tips on how to do uh, informed consent and um, record keeping and things like that, and even a self-accreditation program for practices. So there was just a, an abundance of resources so that when members called up and said, I'm not sure how to do X, Y, Z, you could flick them one of these guides or they could download them off the website if they were aware they're there um, and then say, look, read this and if you've got a, then if you've got more questions, come back to us. And, um, and so that was, those were amazing resources for members. Um, the other thing that we had at the time because Fair Work was coming, uh, had just come and HR life as we knew it was turned on its head. Yeah, and so all of the the answers that we had at the ready, all of a sudden we didn't know anything because there was no legal precedent. So there was we were unsure of how to guide members. So one of the things um, programs that was in, uh, implemented was to establish a relationship with a reputable HR legal firm. And they provided advice to members that we paid for as an association. And, and of course, now this is um, a national program um, and a very valuable program, you know, because of the complexities of that area. Absolutely. And I think especially <laughs> through the COVID process and um, the changes with related to lockdowns, et cetera, I think the HR service through Wentworth that members can access via the ACA website's been a really important resource. Uh, we now move to the final president to serve uh, with you, Norm, who was Paul Bergamo. So to bookend our conversations with past CAA Victoria presidents, uh, I'd like to welcome Paul Bergamo to the podcast. How are you, Paul? Um, great, Anthony. How are you going? Very, very well. So you were right there at the very end and played the important role of guiding CA Victoria through the transition period uh, through to ACA. Tell me about what that experience was like. Well, look, it was, a, it was a very fulfilling experience. And I guess when you think about the whole process going from the CAA to the ACA, it was really 30 years of taking eight state and territory associations and put into one national association. And I guess at the end of the day, with Victoria having a a very unanimous sort of approval rating. I think we had 98% at our EGM yep. um, approve the transition. It was uh, very fulfilling to see that. And especially, you know, in the early days, as you know, Anthony, there was a bit of uncertainty with the whole process, but certainly the presence of someone like Norm, for instance, helped make the transition to the ACA a more smooth sort of uh, transition. And I think his administrative, uh, I guess, prowess and experience 
would made him the perfect person for, for the job on that transition committee? Well, look, I, I guess with the transition committee, that started, I think, in 2016, I think, with uh, John, President, uh, with John DeVoy leading that. And you're on that committee representing us with Norm. And I guess, you know, having Norm there, and you could speak for this probably more than I could, having that sort of administering side and that sort of non-chiropractor lens to perhaps see us through the process was uh, really critical in the whole process. Yes, and ninety-eight percent, as you said, was the uh, the approval rating. That was it was unanimously uh, passed. And I think uh, if we're looking back now, as as good as things were with CA Victoria, I think um, our performance as an association has gone up that level one more as uh, as the ACA. Yeah, look, and I, and I guess things like one of the, one of the key mandates was advocacy, wasn't it? One of the the key areas where we looked at and look at the. Say, for instance, the paediatric issue, how we're able to quickly respond to that, um, which I think would have been a lot harder if we were in the old uh, state of eight states and territories trying to sort of have one voice saying that versus uh, having one voice with the ACA, which which has been terrific. So what was your experience then working with Norm? Look, I think um, when I reflect on Norm, he has many sort of many strengths, and uh, and I think when you look at his knowledge base, I think that's really critical. I think uh, when we look at it, it's really been over three decades where he's really known what chiropractic's been about in Victoria for over thirty years, from his role as registrar of the chiropractors and the osteopath registration board, which I think was from the mid eighties to the early nineties, and of course his executive director role from the CA Vic from. 93 to 2007 then those last you know decade or so when he was CEO of um, CA Vic so I guess you know I'm appreciative of of everything he did um, you know during hours of work but also weekends and you know away from family and 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 I guess his ability to have that sort of sense of warmth that you know whenever you spoke to Norm I spoke to him just recently and you know despite this COVID lockdown crisis his sense of humour it still comes through really strongly. And uh, I reckon, you know, it's been a privilege to know him over that sort of time period. And I, and I, and I think this sort of sense of um, warmth sort of translates to a sense of trust, which from a perspective of many chiropractors from different persuasions, you'd always have that ability to sort of connect with all chiropractors. And I think he was a bit like uh, number seven in the, in, the, in the cricket team, an all-rounder who would connect with young graduates to oldies like you and me, Anthony, but also to you know, great chiropractic pioneers like Bruce and John, who you've interviewed on this podcast series. I think that's a great way to sum it up, Paul. Um, I don't think I've ever had a conversation with Norm where he hasn't had a smile on his face uh, at some stage or uh, thrown in a little bit of cheeky humour into the conversation. So, um, yeah, I think that's that, that's Norm to a T. Yep, he's a great man. Paul, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate uh, all you've done for the profession. No worries at all. Thanks, Anthony. Keep doing your great work as well. Thank you. So then things came to an end, Norm. It was the uh, just one year with Paul Bergamo, which was the year 2018 to 2019. But of course, you and I were very busy over this period on the transition committee where we moved from having a federated model to a, a single entity, the ACA. Tell me about your experience through the transition. The transition was uh, something that we had been looking for for some time. The Victorian executive always had a a view that um, the association should work from a top-down approach 
and wherever possible, we should be acting as a, um, a united and uh, um, in sync with everybody. So when this suggestion of amalgamation was um, put forward, it was pretty much welcomed by, I think, just about everybody. Um, clearly, some people wanted to see the details and that, that's what the transition committee was put together to work through those details, which it did, and clearly we we had a, a virtually unanimous acceptance of the the ultimate proposal that um, all of the companies amalgamate. And I think we're obviously very much stronger for that process. So, Norm, looking back at your what is that twenty and a half, twenty eight and a half years with the CAA, Victoria, and and ACA, and of course. 10 years with the registration uh, board. So we're talking almost four decades dealing with chiropractors. What's your feeling of, um, of looking back over those almost 40 years? I often, there's a book um, about a fortunate life and I often think about the fact that I consider my time working with the chiropractic profession in that life um, I've had the opportunity to work with a group of very committed volunteers um, who have been just open and willing to do whatever they can to help advance their profession and to help their colleagues. And it has been a really interesting experience for me. As I mentioned earlier, I've had um, time with uh, other health professions and never have I accounted the the generosity uh, of spirit that you come across with chiropractors. And that generosity has been a constant throughout. Um, never have I found members unwilling to help when asked. And that's always been something that I think has been amazing. In fact, I believe that the profession has always been cognizant and, and honours that concept of paying it forward. Um, I've often con commented to students and new graduates in particular that they shouldn't hesitate to approach chiropractors for advice or support. Um, and I, I'm sure that uh, those who have taken that advice have been welcomed and have enjoyed the experience. And I, I know that um, the people who were involved in our mentor programs and our member support programs in particular um, would, um, would back that up. Um, it was always very heartwarming for me the, when you had a member who was in crisis for whatever reason, whether it was a health issue or whatever, that you would contact members um, explain what was going on and the prompt reply was, so how can I help? Yeah. And to me, that just typifies yeah. the profession. Um, and, you know, the number of times I've called people and said, look, we need help with a committee or a task or whatever, and they you know, stand ready and they're open to new ideas. So they're always very innovative. And that, I think, is, you know, one of the great characteristics of the, the profession. And so, yes, I've had a, a wonderful time, um, you know, in my, you know, as you say, 28 and a half years 
Um, it's been delightful to work for the profession. Um, it's that old adage about finding something you love to do and, and getting paid for it. I think for the majority of chiropractors, that's a truism and it's certainly been similar for me. Norm, I've always thought that the sign of a good CEO is to make the president look better than they really are. And uh, I know from my uh, two terms with CAA Victoria and in speaking to the other six presidents that served with you over that period, your professionalism, your organisational skills, your long-term strategic thinking and your ability to keep presidents on track and on message was really outstanding. When I first became a president, I think I was only in my early 30s. I had two young kids. Who were one, one I think it had just started primary school, and I felt a a little bit overwhelmed. I must say, speaking, speak, um, stepping into those shoes. But the support that you gave me, and just listening to all the presidents talk about you, really made me feel warm in my heart. Uh, and I know that the entire chiropractic profession and particularly so in Victoria is immensely grateful for the outstanding service that you've given CA Victoria, the ACA and the chiropractic profession as a whole. So thank you for your, uh, you know, the the gift that you've given us um, and enjoy retirement and uh, enjoy your grandchildren, enjoy the bonsais that you've got growing out there in your backyard. And uh, hopefully we can have a, a, a shared beverage of our choice sometime soon and uh, talk about old stories. I look forward to that. Thank you very much for your kind words. Much appreciated. Good on you, Norm. Thank you.